0: Project Lawful, a.k.a. Plane Crash, by Yarwain, a.k.a. Eliezer Yudkowsky, and Lintamande. Thread 1, Mad Investor Chaos and the Woman of Asmodeus. Episode 43. Onward in the sequence. On the next day, the children are introduced to their first sophisticated trading game, with tokens that produce varying quantities of jelly chips in the presence of other tokens and which, brought together in sufficient quantity, can even produce more tokens. Despite everything the kids have learned, the game collapses quickly, and with an escalating level of shouting. What do you guess the kids do wrong?
1: Tried to do central planning without a command structure?
0: You know, I think that thought never occurred to a single one of us. To be fair, we weren't paying very much attention at that age to how the legislative or executive branches of governance were set up, but I guess we knew enough to elect a leader with some simple ranked voting system. It would have made sense to try that, not knowing any better solutions, but we didn't. What actually goes wrong is that children with rare tokens decide that rarity is the key determinant of fair cost. Children with tokens that directly produce a lot of jelly chips decide that direct. Jelly chip production should be the starting anchor on price, and children with tokens that can help produce more tokens, think their tokens are way more valuable than anything else around.
1: It is good to hear Dathilani children described doing normal things like rationalizing they're getting more stuff than other people.
0: Now, this is a problem mainly of the kids not having full power in their forward reflectors. That's the part of the brain that implements wisdom, sort of. Obviously, it's more complicated than that. Adults could just notice that internal self-favoring influence and switch it off. When we get to the point of being able to run experiments like this in Chelyaks, with 18 intelligent 7-year-old kids who've otherwise had an optimized upbringing, I predict that tapping them all with an owl's wisdom and telling them to try to avoid self-favoring biased estimates will be enough to get trade restarted. But that just leaves the obvious question. A biased estimate of what? What defines the fair amount for each child to get, based on the tokens they hold, if we assume in-game that it's fair for them to start out holding those tokens. There's no object-level effort in this game. It's just about putting tokens down next to each other. Nobody can be said to be trying any harder. Nobody can be said to be trying any more efficiently. The outcomes are perfectly predictable and perfectly measurable. So what's fair? How would Chelyax solve that problem? Heal's a worry. Or how would you do it if you think you know a way better than Chelyax's standard?
1: You could... Try to calculate what can be accomplished by all the tokens together, and then all the tokens minus any specific one. And that's that person's share. Though there's no reason to pay everyone that much, you could normalize it.
0: Not bad, especially for a first suggestion. Now suppose I arrange matters such that every token's marginal contribution, defined exactly as you defined it, is zero. Each of twelve people gets a token. Any number of tokens from zero to ten will produce zero jelly chips. Any group of eleven or twelve tokens produces twelve jelly chips. What now?
2: Uh, well, if you were a god, you could
3: calculate the token's marginal value in all possible subsets of all of the tokens and do something with that. Which I mention only because sometimes apparently if gods can do it, Dathilan can too,
1: Gregoria says. She's pretty sure once you've sold your soul you can just say things like that. If all the tokens are identical like that, you probably just want to split evenly. I know that was just for the example, but it'd simplify the math you have to do in the version Gregoria just proposed, if you treat interchangeable tokens as having the same
0: payout. That was a faster progression to the law-inspired answer than Keltham was expecting. Maybe something about the exact way Keltham asked the question managed to prompt that answer. Or maybe it really is the sort of thing where most arbitrary aliens will arrive at the same answer, which is a small piece of good news about the general cooperativity of reality. Yes, indeed. Sometimes you can take an ideal agent calculation whose naked specification is too large for even gods to compute, and either simplify it to an exact answer, or get a good and fast approximation of it. Keltham whiteboards a sum over every possible permutation of twelve tokens. Pausing to explain Dath-Elani math symbols like all permutations, an initial string up to first appearance of this symbol. For every possible order in which the tokens could be arranged, consider the marginal production that token adds on the step it's added. Zero. Ten produces zero. Eleven. Twelve produces twelve. Then, divide that sum by the number of permutations. This sum has four hundred seventy-nine million one thousand. Six hundred terms, Keltham says. I've already finished adding them up. How are you doing on that?
1: See, if he'd said that yesterday, no one would have bet against him
3: being a sadist. The sum is also four hundred seventy-nine million, one thousand, and whatever it was, Asmodia says. People who aren't Keltham can tell that she's not saying it as triumphantly as she should be. To Keltham, she is liable to sound exactly like the same cheerful person as always.
0: Mm, and you got that by
3: dividing 479 million which is what you said by 12 and then multiplying by 12 if the others can't figure anything out
1: from that it's their own damn problem that'd work if every term is one but they just agreed it wasn't but it averages out to one but how would you prove that no one voices any confusion because they're too chellish
2: for that Summary of what the fuck is up with Asmodia from whoever is mind-reading her, please.
4: The poor dear really didn't want to go to hell. Tried praying to a non-specific good god to get her out of it in case Cheliax was lying about good gods not doing that and had an accordingly unpleasant evening afterwards. If they'd known this group was going to be anything more than a welcoming gift for Keltham, they would have done better screening on her. Does Sever want to pull the trigger on replacing Asmodia? There were over one-half responses to Keltham that could allow one of the girls to later reveal she's a shape-changed adult.
2: She's considering it. It's more lying. And a thing Keltham will be mad about even if she manages to bring him around on evil generally, someone directly ending up worse off, if he ever does find out. Probably that doesn't matter because they're not going to be able to bring Keltham around anyway. On the other hand, you really, really don't want bitter children with nothing to lose around your highly sensitive research project. The thing she wants is to talk to Asmodea, but this isn't a non-heresy work situation at the Worldwound where sometimes someone just needs a drink, and the casual but almost generous observation that they aren't special, and that therefore there are people who've survived being like them, there's too much at stake to go off her gut. Do we have a replacement candidate? Give them that math problem and see if they get it right.
4: Oh, Asmodea has plenty to lose now. She did sign away her soul, as wasteful as that was, and her hell can always get worse. They'll try the obvious replacement candidates on that math problem. That is a significant ask, though. Asmodia had the best scores in math, if not in wizardry generally, for this whole group. If Osmodia had graduated normally, she'd have been tracked for spell research and ritual support after her world wound tour, not security. Target-replacing security operatives aren't usually tracked for mathematical talent. They're not usually replacing mathematicians.
5: The result has to be that, Ioni states. Because everybody got the same kind of token. There are 12 jelly chips to divide, there are 12 tokens, and obviously everybody should get one jelly chip. So, if we're dividing by the number of permutations, the numerator has to be the number of permutations, too. Well, yes, says Meritzel.
6: But if the reason we're learning it this way at all, instead of just coming up with one jelly chip apiece, which three-year-olds could do, is the permutations approach, then we should be solving the sum instead of just noticing it has to get us the three-year-old answer. It does, though, since eleven and twelve of them are zero, and the twelfth is twelve. I'm not sure that even gods are doing the full math all the time, but maybe it's usually nearly that symmetrical.
0: Keltham is starting to suspect that chelish wizards do not routinely memorize 12 factorial, 479,1600, and didn't recognize the number when he said it, which may make this problem harder to mentally chunk, in which case they couldn't have studied a lot of combinatorics, Keltham would really have guessed that this bit of spell with twelve elements has 479,001,600 possible confirmations would be an important chunk of spellcraft, unless things only work at all, when there's only one possible confirmation. Maybe you don't get to that part at Second Circle. Or maybe, this is a weird thought, but Keltham is starting to feel suspicious of a trend. Chelyax teaches combinatorics in some incredibly narrow way where they've only learned combinatorics for spells, and not combinatorics for everyday life. This probably isn't the most important thing right now. File it with the other. Why are they so inconsistently X? Correct, but I'm not sure everyone was following along with that. So let's try a smaller-scale version. Suppose I took four of you, lined you up in a randomized order, you can imagine it being visibly randomized, if you like, and gave eight jelly chips, to whoever was standing second in line. On average, how many jelly chips should you expect to receive if I run this procedure on you?
1: Two, they chorused
0: cheerfully. How could the answer possibly be two? There's four times, three times, two times, one ways to pick the first person in the line from four people, the second person in the line from the three remaining people, the third person in the line from two remaining people, and one way to tack on the last person in the line. Four times, three times, two times, one is twenty-four. You get eight jelly chips at the end, if you get any at all. So the answer is going to be something divided by twenty-four different possibilities. Maybe eight divided by twenty-four, or something like that. So the answer should be one-third. Or something with thirds in it, anyways, because you're dividing by twenty-four, which has a factor of three in there.
5: They stare at him warily. You're second in line a quarter of the time, says Tonya. So it's two. Probably Dathilan does this kind of thing because of it being illegal to light anyone on fire, so they have no other outlets.
0: Illegal isn't quite the same concept when you don't
1: have threats. But lighting somebody on fire would get you barred from most cities. Yes, since most cities contain people who prefer not to be lit on fire.
0: But how does one obtain that result?
1: You take the payout, which is eight, and you multiply it by how often you get the payout, which is a quarter of the time, and eight times a quarter is
0: two. Keltham furthermore suspects that chellish education may also possibly put more emphasis on guessing the right answer for spell problems than on proving the answer correct, which there's obviously a place for. In fact, if he were to treat them as kids, an old Lani rule implies that Keltham needs to find a problem that forces them to use a more rigorous method rather than complaining that the correct answer was obtained too quickly. You are not allowed to tell a child, That answer was correct, but I want you to obtain it my way, instead of your way. That is not good for kids. And it's not actually clear to Keltham if that rule is supposed to hold relative to absolute age, or to mathematical maturity. If there's twenty-four different ways to stand in line, how does it end up that you're getting a payout one quarter of the time? Keltham tries instead. Shouldn't it be more like one twenty-fourth or something like that?
1: There's not twenty-four different ways to stand in line. There are four places you can be in line, and then you don't care what the other three kids are doing.
0: I am supposed at this point to find some actual problem which forces you to compute it out the long way, instead of complaining that you got the correct answer, but you didn't get it the way I wanted, which I am not supposed to ever do. But I don't have a workbook full of carefully composed problems like I would if this were a real lesson, unfortunately. If we were trying to figure out your marginal contribution to a more complicated economic situation, though, the particular people ahead of you in line might be important. You know, I should just give you a simpler problem that forces you to compute it the long way. Let's say there are three tokens with numbers that say 2, 3, and 5. Bringing a group of tokens together gives the group a number of jelly chips equal to the product of every number in the group. So if you had the tokens for 2 and 5 together the group would receive ten jelly chips. What does this method say is the fair distribution to the holder of the five token if three token holders pool two and three and five to get thirty jelly chips for the group?
6: So you sum up adding the five to nothing, adding the five to the two, adding the five to the three, and adding the five to the pool with the two and the three, says Meritzel. And that's everything the five could possibly be worth in every world, and you divide by how many worlds there were.
5: Or, if you actually bother to do the work, 5 plus 10 plus 15 plus 30 divided by 4, says Ioni. So, 15. Asmodea rolls her eyes. Really? What do the other two tokens get, then? The 2 and the 3? Ioni suspects a trap, and tries to rapidly work it out in her head. For the Kaiker 2, it's 2 plus 6 plus 10 plus 30 divided by 4, which is... Damn it, this is harder to do in her head. Twelve? And for the uh, uh-three, it's three plus six plus fifteen plus thirty equals fifty-four. Divided by four is no, it doesn't matter. It's not all going to add up to thirty. Wait, I see my mistake. Ione begins. Mistakes. Plural. The divisor is six,
3: not four, and you're supposed to sum over the marginal productions rather than the total productions. If they're ordered 5, then 3, then 2, that's a marginal production of 5. If they're ordered 5, then 2, then 3, that's a marginal production of 5. If they're ordered 2, then 5, then 3, the product starts at 2 and goes to 10, which is a marginal production of 8. 3, then 5, then 2 goes from 3 to 15. Marginal production 12. 2. Then three, then five, and three, then two, then five. Go from six to thirty. Marginal production twenty-four, repeated twice. Asmodea has been writing down these numbers, thank you. She is not trying to keep it all in her head without a fox's cunning. Five plus five plus eight plus twelve plus twenty-four plus twenty-four equals seventy-eight divided by six, thirteen. She quickly checks the other two numbers to make sure she's got it right. For 2. 2 plus 2 plus 3 plus 5 plus 15 plus 15 equals 42, divided by 6 equals 7. For 3. 3 plus 3 plus 4 plus 10 plus 20 plus 20 equals 60, divided by 6 equals 10. 13 plus 7 plus 10 equals 30. Okay, she didn't just make a tiny bit,
2: unimportantly, bigger, Fool of herself. Is she playing at anything by being prominently the best at math today?
4: The other students are trying as hard as they can at math. They don't believe themselves to have been instructed by you to diminish their math efforts as such. Asmodia is just better at this problem, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, the thing I was trying to force you to do with the four students in twenty-four possible orders was sum over the six possible ways you could be standing second in line to make the point about how the sum is defined as being over every permutation. In retrospect, clearly, I should have started with the case of tokens labeled two, three, and five, but I'm sort of making this up as I go along because it's been a few years, and I don't remember some of the exercises, let alone their ordering. Sorry about that. Anyways. When you're trying to see if there's a way to do what ideal agents would do, or gods if you think gods are powerful enough to be ideal about that particular case, you want to distinguish the law that defines what the solution is, and any clever ways you come up with to compute the lawful solution faster. When you've got twelve identical tokens, such that any group of eleven or twelve of them will produce twelve jelly chips, there's a symmetry argument which says that each token must get one jelly chip. If you thought there ought to be a coherence constraint on the law of fairness saying that holders of identical tokens should end up with identical payouts, you could use that to compute the answer even if you had no idea what the actual law was. Often when you do see how the law works, you can go back over a lot of your intuitions and say, oh yes, that intuition I had previously was shadowing this coherence of the law even though I didn't know how the whole law worked and that's a kind of sanity check on whether you're reasoning correctly at all. But the law of fairness that defines the target answer for the uh, 11 tokens of 12 are your problem is in principle a sum over 479,001,600 marginal productions, of which all but 39,916,800 are zero, and 39,000,000, nine hundred sixteen thousand eight hundred of which are twelve, divided at the end by four hundred seventy nine million one thousand six hundred. Which means that we can say there's a single ideal fairness formula that governs both the uh, eleven of twelve Duang game and the two, three, five A game, even if shortcuts or approximations for the particular cases of the formula can be different, in the cases where a shortcut exists
6: which does imply that identical tokens will get identical payouts,
2: says Meritzel. Right? Carissa does not want the kids to be bad at math. Imitating being bad at math seems like another thing where the things Keltham would expect to be correlated won't be and he'll end up suspicious, which is almost definitely happening anyway, but at least since it's the product of their real legitimate math education, it'll make more sense to him as he learns more. Carissa wanted to know whether Asmodiah was being impressive on purpose, because an Asmodiah who is trying to get Keltham's attention, or an Asmodiah who is trying to be hard for Cheliax to replace, an Asmodiah who has started playing for her survival against the project's interests, more than everyone in Cheliax is doing all the time— is a different problem than an Asmodia who is doing her best but bitter because she had been consoling herself that Chelyax was lying about good and they turned out not to be. She thinks a disillusioned, angry-at-good Asmodea is probably usable. She is open to learning from someone with more experience with this, though.
4: This is her being weak and reactive, not strategic. And she's quite pissed at the good gods, yes. Security doesn't explain why.
2: It's not really the kind of thing that requires explanation. The good gods suck. Carissa tries to think what Myal will think if she tells him that she wants to try to talk Asmodia around. It would be nice if she could predict what Myal thought about things so she could stop bothering the real one so often, but he still surprises her as often as not and she isn't sure if he'll think this is Carissa being inexperienced at having a real command and accordingly stupid, or Carissa having weirdly good instincts because Asmodeus dropped Keltham near her for a reason. She should focus on the lesson, or she's going to get behind. And then Keltham will think she's kind of stupid, which might be good if it means he thinks she's not a ringleader but would interfere with attachment to her, she's pretty sure.
0: Lesson it is. Yep, identical tokens getting identical payouts is one of several coherence properties that this solution has, called equal treatment of equals. Another example of an obvious coherence property is that the sum over every agent's fair distribution equals the total distribution. We don't have any jelly chips left over. Yet another coherence property is that combining two games into a single game will make the agent's fair reward be the sum of their fair rewards in the component games. Or another obvious-sounding one. If your marginal production is zero for every permutation, your fair reward is also zero. Would you say those four properties sound like properties that any fair formula for a game like this one ought to have? Again, that's identical agents being treated identically, distributing all of the gains... The reward for playing two games is the sum of the reward for playing the game separately, and agents who contribute nothing receive nothing.
1: Those seem obviously true, but there's still a suspicious pause while they try to think
2: of counterexamples. Did we get a technical definition of a fair formula such that split the rewards evenly, which does not have the last of those properties, gets disqualified?
0: Oh, at the moment, we don't have any technical definition of what fairness is, really, just this one permutation-based formula I gave you which I claimed might have something to do with fairness, and four particular properties that might seem intuitively appealing for a fair solution. So at present, we could at best say that the supposedly fair permutation-based formula doesn't split rewards evenly, and that splitting rewards evenly violates the intuitively appealing fair notion that zero marginal production should receive zero reward. Nod but it just so happens that this here permutation-based formula is the only possible formula that has those four properties, which is why, if dathilan ever runs into aliens, they'll be at least sort of hopeful that the aliens also think this is the fairness formula, as specialized for crisp games like these. This is how humans, from their chaotic beginnings, come to know law. There's a sort of bootstrapping, reflection, seeing something inside yourself where you recognize the higher pattern and coherence within your own intuitions, where you find four crisp requirements that seem obviously, intuitively like they should hold if there's any way to get them, that appeal to the pre-lawful notions inside you, and those four crisp properties pinpoint and identify a single possible law, and then you look back at the intuitions inside you and say, oh, so that's what it was reflecting, that's what it was a shadow of, all along. You didn't know that law when you first saw the ultimatum game, but you gave that law's answer of six. Six.
2: Imagine having that, having the true law, and thinking you'd also better not hit the kids or they might decide it's not worth going to school. Chelish children will march through fire for that, and that's why Cheliax is going to win.
0: And so long as that gets transcripted and sent out soon enough, Hopefully nobody from Chellish governance gives me a completely baffled look if I say that my baseline fair share of an increase in chelish production ought to be around roughly the amount that chelish production would have increased by adding me in the alternate world where the country had randomly half of its current people, or gets confused and worried if I say that a proposed contract clause would be annoying enough in a final offer to make me visibly generate a random number between 0 and 999 and walk out on cheliacs if the number is 0. Now it's time for a break or it would be in dathilon anyways and it so happens that I hailed from there. I'll take some questions and then probably go off by myself for a bit to let my brain cool down from recomposing half-remembered lectures. Metaphorically speaking, the brain doesn't actually overheat when you overthink, unless something is going very wrong inside. Dathilani best practices would provide you with a small snack and suggest that you stand up and walk around. Maybe a brief magic practice session after this, to break things up. Anybody who doesn't want to teach me magic, which doesn't need to include all of you, could take a longer break, that way. Any questions?
1: I do have some snacks, if we should all have snacks, Pilar says taking a pouch of small, chelish sweets from her book bag, wearing a cheerful smile. She starts going around and distributing them to everyone, Keltham first. But is she going to give them to the mysterious slave?
2: Yes, apparently.
0: Keltham consumes his sweet. Not bad for this tech level.
2: Thank you, Pilar. I'm going to go get my headband, Carissa says. Probably I'll come to magic lessons, but don't wait on me. I might want to reread all my math textbooks first or something.
0: No questions? Keltham doesn't know whether that lecture was much less exciting for them than it was for him, or if there's a cultural difference that makes Chellish students ask a lot fewer questions than Ilani would. Well, Keltham heads off to his bedroom. Broom follows. So great. Why did you say that you needed to destroy those papers before the universe noticed them? It was almost entirely a joke, but in the unlikely event it's not, then you wouldn't actually be helping by calling attention to... Apologies, Broom says and immediately turns to go the other way. Okay, maybe that guy is some sort of keeper. Keltham goes to his bed, lies down, and closes his eyes for a quick rest.
6: Meritzel does not eat Pilar's sweet on general principle, and goes back to her room to put away somewhere where she can check it later for being weird in some way. Security wouldn't let Pilar poison them, but it could totally be weird in some way.
4: Anything you feel like reporting to security, says Rodez Belaguer, who's leaning against the wall of a passage along the way.
6: Pilar's being weird. Asmodea's being weird. There's a slave attending classes. I don't understand why Sevar's in charge. She holds up the suite, not quite offering it to him. This is a very educational environment. Am I forgetting something?
4: Oh, Pilar's being weird? How so?
6: She got Sever a cake and offered everyone, including the slave who is attending classes, these. Neither of those things are heretical, but they're absolutely weird. Maritzel isn't feeling particularly afraid. It is possible she forgot something, in which case she'll rightly be in a lot of trouble. But she doesn't think she did because she has a very good memory and one always might get in trouble anyway. But there's no point being afraid of that. It'd be like being afraid of rain. One thing her mother always told her was that everyone is powerless, but only some people are scared.
4: Oh, I see. Good on you for informing security about those anomalous surprising events as soon as you reasonably could. When did those events happen, by the by?
6: There is also no point in trying to defend yourself against the unreasonable implications of things people are saying any more than you would argue with the clouds about whether they ought to bring rain. Pilar provided the cake at the start of the day and the sweets at the conclusion of the lesson about two minutes ago. The slaves showed up at the start of lesson with Keltham's knowledge and Sevar's, I think. Modi has been weird Uh, More subtly than that, but it was most noticeable in the last half hour of the lecture.
4: Take off your left shoe.
6: It seems unlikely that security wants them all running off to report at the start of lunch on things that security already saw, which makes it correspondingly more likely that security's just in a bad mood. But there's no point in being afraid either way. Though the second possibility does suggest more options. She keeps her eyes on him while she lifts her leg to remove her shoe. I don't suppose security is allowed to explain things to us.
4: Brodez Balaguer breaks her little toe, not in a particularly unfriendly way. This is a mission for big girls, he informs her. You are not adequately prepared for it. You were intended as a welcoming gift for Keltham. Somehow you've ended up with a great deal more responsibility than that. This will require rapid retraining. Pilar is now an oracle of Caden Cadencaeleon. That's the chaotic good god of drunkenness, if you're too loyal to know. It happened moments before Pilar could sign her soul contract. Mind reading shows that Pilar didn't want that at all, and that her request to be maledicted if she needs to be executed was completely sincere. This matches up with earlier records of Pilar's thoughts being read, and is not currently thought to be an oracular power for evading having her mind read. Orders are to consider her an Asmodian in good standing, for now. Her giving cake to Savar was a manifestation of her oracular curse as was her distribution of sweets. You failed to report the former event for the entire length of the morning. Had security not known about this matter already and had the security officer present, also failed to take explicit note of the anomaly as every one of you did. Your failure to note Pilar's unusual behavior and report it to anyone would have meant ignoring signs of a catastrophic underlying problem. You can have that toe healed at the end of the day or earlier if Keltham suddenly wants to sleep with you for some reason. Meanwhile, it is expected to provide you with a recurring reminder of the new level of security awareness that is now required from you. Broom is here by direct authorization of the Grand High Priestess and belongs to a lawful neutral god whose work conduces to Asmodius's purposes. He is not authorized to give you orders, and you should show him neither deference nor disrespect. High priest Mayol has decided that Savar seems to have the best current understanding of Keltham of anyone present, including himself. In the unlikely event that you prove to understand Keltham even better, Mayol might put you in charge instead. Try sabotaging Sever to make yourself look better by comparison, and Mayol will hurt you enough to mildly improve your soul before sending it onward to hell. Asmodia earned a punishment the previous evening, but is not currently considered by security to be an ongoing problem. You're done here. Put your shoe back on.
6: Fair enough. Thank you, she says sincerely, and puts her shoe back on, and determinedly walks without a limp down the hallway, though it takes a great deal of effort.
0: If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated.
4: And thank you to executive producer John Doe, 7776059.